Hey there, welcome to the Collide Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide, and I'm so glad you're here to hang out with me. I was just challenged by Whitney Aiken, who recently came out with her first book called Overlooked, Finding Your Worth When You Feel All Alone. And we had a great conversation about this common experience we all have where we kind of don't feel seen all the time. We don't feel seen by God. We don't feel seen by our friends or our spouses oftentimes and what that does to our sense of self-worth. It was a great conversation. I want to hand it to you and I hope that you enjoy it. Whitney, it's so fun to hang out with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah, well, of course I've stalked you to find out who you are, what you're about. You're a writer, a speaker. You just released your first book called Overlooked, Finding Your Worth When You Feel All Alone. And I am a writer and a speaker, so I have so many things I want to ask you. But first of all, let's just start with this new exciting news. You released your first book. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels amazing. It feels all, it feels like all the feelings all at once. <laughs> it feels amazing and vulnerable and scary and wonderful and super grateful for the opportunity and just to know that people are reading this and um, sitting in their own homes getting this message is super humbling and I'm really grateful that it's made an impact on people's lives. That's awesome. Do you feel like you just birthed a baby? <laughs> yes. Yes, in a very different way. I have three children, but yes. <laughs> what led you to write this book? Um, I really felt like God was calling me to, I went to college for writing and like was a technical writer for a lot of years, but I always felt like I was a good writer for someone else, but I didn't really have anything I could write about. And um, a few years back, I felt like God was really leading me to pray about what it would look like to write the story he had for me, but I didn't know what that was. And so um, when I began to think about what I would want to write about, it was just this this feeling that I had had for a lot of my life, and I didn't really know how to name it, um, but I, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about, um, and some of it's because I'm like, a, I'm the shy, awkward, introvert person. That's my personality, and so I felt it because of that. Some of it's because um, I struggled in friend groups in school, sort of always struggled with like what's my special talent and how, where do I fit in and what's my thing? Um, some of it's because in my young uh, married life in my twenties, I went through a season of infertility, which was really transformative for me. And in all of those seasons, I had the same feeling. It was like a string that kind of connected all of them, but I, I didn't know how to pinpoint it. And one day I was on my computer and I was looking through the thesaurus online and I saw this word overlooked. I was like, that's the common thread that I felt on all these different seasons of my life and for all these different reasons. And I thought, I want to, I want to write a book about that. I want to write a book about why we feel that way and what God has to say about it. And so that's what I set out to do. I am nodding my head a million times over because I think so many of us can relate. It's super interesting when you said you thought you, you, your writing was, for someone else, like to write for other people. And I think there's this thing we do, especially as women, where we almost make ourselves small and hide behind other people's giftings. Like, oh, they, they 
are better or they'll get the limelight and I'll just kind of be the behind the scenes person that helps them. And I think we can live like that for so long where it's so hard for us to be brave and kind of step out and raise our hand and say, but I think I have a voice. I think I have something to say. That took extreme bravery for you to come out from underneath writing for other people and instead say, I'm going to write a book. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that's just a whole like story of heart transformation that God had been working in my life for a long time. I'm really good. You said making yourself small. I'm super good at that. I'm also really good at disqualifying myself before I even get started. Like I'm just not up for that. I still do this. And so, um, but God has sort of led me on a heart journey uh, over lots of years to this place of like, um, but I have a purpose for you. And specifically you. Um, and I want you to, to use what I've given you for my glory. Yeah, you said you used to think, what's my special talent? I think there's so many women who say that. In fact, earlier today, I was hanging out with some women at our Collide office. And a woman said, I don't have any special gifts like other people. And I think a lot of us think we have to somehow be super special for God to do something amazing with our life. And we already are special, but we sort of look around at other people and think, well, I can't sing. I can't dance. You know, whatever it is. I'm not an influencer. And it's so interesting because if you look at scripture, you know, I think about Corinthians where scripture says, for my power is made perfect in weakness, that actually God's power rests on, on weakness. That if you look at who God uses in history, he uses uses nitwits, right? He doesn't use the Absolutely. people that you think yes. he would use. Like the people he picks to be on his team aren't the people I would pick to be on my team. <laughs> right, right. To where we don't. So I love that you finally came that. out from underneath sort of your own self-debasing and making yourself small and you're now using your voice. And you came across this word overlooked and so many women feel overlooked what kind of stories have come to you since putting out this book where you're hearing uh this sort of common theme that people feel yeah i thought that this was just something i felt because i was an awkward introvert that this is just me um and it was really scary to sort of begin to share that it's just like you offer something hey i feel this way do you feel this way too and you just hope that someone else resonates with it but um man i have heard so many stories um from that have just continued to surprise me in ways that people have felt overlooked um I hear from people who are incredibly extroverted, who feel overlooked because though there might be the life of the party, they sort of get um, the the heart of who they are can get missed in all the fun that they might bring. Um, I hear from people who feel uh, overlooked at church, um, overlooked young adults, like college age, just getting out of high school, trying to figure things out, feeling very um, unsure of how to navigate social media and career and college and life and just feeling like nobody's there to kind of catch them. I've heard minority women talk about feeling overlooked just and working very hard to achieve maybe the same thing they feel like their peers could. I've heard young moms who feel overlooked and then grandmas who feel, you know, overlooked because their children are no longer in their home. I mean, it really is just like, you name it, whatever season and circumstance someone's in, they can have a story for you about how they felt unseen. And it's not just that nobody sees it, but just like 
that they're not known and welcome and understood and just like known, you know, for where they are and who they are at that moment. When you're hearing all these stories, this commonality that so many of us have where we feel like we're overlooked, what's your encouragement for women who feel that way? My encouragement is if we all have it, number one, you're not alone. And feeling overlooked by its very nature, it makes you feel like you are alone in it. But you're not alone because we're all feeling that way at some point. Um, And number two, that this very human thing that we have in us to want to be seen by others and loved and welcomed and known by others is a need that God has placed in our hearts. It's intentional and it can be filled in a healthy way through the Lord, um, when we kind of understand what this need is and how he meets it. And so there is a healthy way to operate in this crazy world we live in where social media is everything, being seen as everything, everyone's self-promoting, everyone's looking for the next opportunity. There is a healthy way to sort of navigate that world when we have our foundation on the God who sees us and this truth. How have you become convinced in your own experience? I mean, I've heard you refer to yourself maybe already a few times about being this awkward <laughs> introvert. That's how, yeah. Those are your words, not mine, um, yes, which I yes. think the world is really hard on introverts. So let's just say that out loud. But how in your experience have you become sure that God sees you? Hmm. Um, well, first of all, scripture confirms that. Um, and I Sometimes it's it's easy to read something, right? I know it in your head, it's hard to get it into your heart and really believe it. Um, but I think that the moment that that really changed for me, I've been a Christian since I was a little girl. Um, I've, I've grown up in church. I love the Lord. I think the moment that I really knew God saw me, like me, uh, was in that season of infertility. And what was happening is I was going through this problem, right? I, I wanted to have a child. I could not have a child. And I serve a God who could give me a child with just the thought, right? But he wasn't doing it. And so my whole world and my whole faith felt like it was kind of crashing down around me. And I was young um, and I'd never suffered like that before. I didn't really know what to do with it. And what I found was that nobody could help me. Nobody could encourage me. I was so alone in that struggle. And God met me there, not in a way that solved my problem immediately, but in a way that just met me with his presence. And I felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit um, really clearly during that time. I don't really even know how to describe it. It was just that I felt like God uh, loving me in a way that I'd never felt before. And I felt him very personal and very close. Um, and I wasn't even, that was probably my lowest <laughs> as a Christian or whatever, that was probably my low. I was doubting everything. I was questioning. I was angry at God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I felt his presence in this beautiful way. And it was like, I realized that God wasn't uh, flinching. You know, he wasn't like turning away from me because I was in an ugly place. Um, but he was drawing near mm-hmm. and he really saw me in that season. And I really began to recognize the goodness of God and to believe the things I had read my whole life were actually very true about this God who sees me and loves me. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk all the time around here about Jesus colliding with us, that he enters the mess. He steps into the grief. He 
Um, he handles the pain. He crashes right into all of who we are and he stands present and wants to bring his comfort and his healing and his love and his transformation, all those things. And when you're talking, I'm just, I keep thinking about the woman uh, who is hemorrhaging and she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, right? And the story starts out with like a father and I think his daughter is 12 and she's sick and, and she's really, really sick. And he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus is on his way to heal a dying child. And he's in this crowd making his way to the child. And the woman hemorrhaging, you know, she's not even supposed to be in a crowd because in she was supposed to, it was considered unclean, right? And so here she is and she's in a crowd and she wants Jesus's power. She wants his healing. She wants him so badly that she reaches out knowing it's like a huge risk. Like she could get ruined for this. And she reaches out and she touches, right? Like the hem of his robe. And it's so fascinating because he turns around in a crowd and he stops for her. And I always think like, it's so crazy to me. He's on his way to, to heal a child who ends up dying on his way. Right. And, and he stops for this hemorrhaging woman, this woman that felt so overlooked. And I always think about how Jesus is so good at stopping for one. And I think we often think, oh, God's busy. God has so much to do. He's, you know, out like trying to save, you know, the starving people and enter into wars and all of these things. And here I am. I don't know if you felt this way, but it's like, here I am and I want a baby and I couldn't have one. God's too busy to like stop for me. And so I love hearing stories where you really felt like he stopped for you. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, I, I literally write something very similar to that in the book about how we often feel like God has forgotten us because he's busy with all these other things. Like, there's so much bad going on in the world. My situation's not that terrible. Like, I'm sure he's busy, but I know the truth is that is he's capable enough to be a personal God um, to everyone. And that's what makes him incredible. And I love that story. And he calls her daughter and he takes this moment and um, sees her in her lowly, like her just lowliest state she could be in. And he meets her there. And that's what God does over and over and over. There's nothing too lowly or menial or small for him to meet us. In. As you wrote this book, what did you discover about what all this loneliness is doing to our self-worth? Because they're saying loneliness is a pandemic right now in this generation. Yeah. Like loneliness is like killing people. It's crazy. Yeah. It's impacting lives. What yeah. did you learn about loneliness? And it's tied to our yeah. And, and researching for the book, I sort of focused in on when we feel overlooked and unseen and lonely, often our knee-jerk reaction is to try to get attention. Like we want to be seen, we want to be noticed. Um, and that, it might not be in some very attention-getting way, but we just sort of long to be seen. And so I tried to like figure out why does this matter so much to us? Like, why are we not just content being unseen? Um, and I learned in researching for the book that this need for attention and approval is psychologists say it's a biological human need. It's why people are struggling in loneliness. It's why people who feel overlooked have negative effects on their humanity, because it's actually a need that we have. 
Um, if it's not filled, we suffer just like if we don't eat, you know, we get hungry. But the problem is, is that if you're hungry, you know, a good meal is going to fix that hunger. But if you're longing for attention and approval, it's kind of unclear how you're supposed to fill that need. Like in the research, I found psychologists said, well, you know, just try to find positive attention from people around you and have a better self-love, you know, and practice better self-love. But like those two things for me were not great solutions because I struggle to get the attention of people around me. And I always have. And self-love is something that I have a dicey relationship with because I've always struggled with being very self-conscious and, um, you know, having low self-esteem. And so like, how do I just conjure those things up in order to fix this problem of feeling overlooked? And I, I didn't see how that was a, a real solution for someone like me. And so, um, but when I looked into scripture and took the same question to God's word, um, what I found is this reality that, you know, in Genesis 1, before the fall, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them in perfect attention and approval. He says, I, he saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Like they were seen and approved of and loved by their father. Mm-hmm. And the fall broke that and sin severed that. Um, but of course, through Jesus, we have a way back to that reality because we're covered by him, because our sins are forgiven in Christ. When God looks on us covered in Jesus, he can say it again, like, I see you and you are very good. And so this loneliness and this feeling of overlooked is first and foremost met in our relationship with the God who sees and our connection with him. And of course, we still need people, right? We still need that relationship with other people. But I think that we can look everywhere for more eyes to see us. But what we really need is the Father's eyes. And then anything on top of that is sort of like the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. But he has to be the foundation. I love how you normalize this. You normalize this need to be seen. You're not You're not sort of making us feel like we shouldn't have this need at all. Like you're, you're basically suggesting we were made to be seen by God and one another, but there's so much brokenness that we've experienced that we can feel often overlooked. It's kind of the, the experience of being a human around so much woundedness. And I also think it's interesting that you talk about, well, how am I supposed to just conjure up so much self-love? I mean, I know like (laughs) self-talk is important for sure, but I think it's almost funny the way you say it, because so often we can just try to have these mantras or something uh, to remind ourselves of what is true. But I do think there's power, at least in my life. And I know even I speak over my kids' lives, speaking God's truth over them, that you are a child of God. You are beloved. You are God's workmanship. You're made in God's image, like taking what is true about God and what he says is true about us and speaking it and claiming it feels so much more powerful than me just kind of like sitting in front of a mirror in the bathroom and being like, you're cool. You know, it's like, probably yeah. like you're not awkward in an interview. You know, like, but I know I really am. Yeah. Are there some practical, like, tools that you give women or do you have any advice on hey when you're feeling like you're not worthy here's some things you can do to not just conjure up self-love but proclaim God's truth over your life 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I identified some things in the book, like some traits that we can kind of cling to. One of the things I go back to myself a lot is something they call the three Ps. Um, it's just to, and it's really like what you just said. And instead of looking in a mirror and saying great things about myself, which I hope I believe, but I struggle to, right? I will repeat scripture and God's truth. So the three Ps would be perspective, my purpose, and my position, right? So my perspective is oftentimes for me, myself, my perspective is that I need to put myself on the sidelines. I shouldn't even try. I'm unqualified. Like we've already talked about, I just disqualify myself. Um, but the perspective needs to be that God sees me. He crafted me with a purpose and um, he has a plan for me. He wants to use me. Um, and then my purpose, I oftentimes think like, because like you said, the world's hard on introverts uh, because of my personality or because of my weaknesses or my limitations, that there's nothing God can do through me. Um, but the truth is, is that God has given me kingdom work to do and he's invited me to be part of his story. And I do have a purpose, whatever that looks like within my own personality, within my own weaknesses, God has given me a purpose. And then that position, I often feel overlooked and forgotten, but scripture tells me that's not true, that I'm a child of God that God sees me, that he loves me, and and that in him I'm really free from shame and free to rest in who Jesus says I am. Because my worth is not inherent in who I am. My worth was bought by Jesus on the cross. And so when I feel like I'm not good enough, I'm right. But in Christ, I am good enough because of him. And for me, that's a huge comfort because as someone who struggles to find the good in myself, I know that that it's okay if I struggle to find it because when I looked at Jesus and who he is in my life, all of a sudden I see the good. That makes sense. I love it. The three Ps. That's awesome. If you love this podcast and the work Collide is doing to impact lives, would you consider partnering with us? We rely entirely on the generous support of donors to fuel the life-changing work we do to create spaces for women to collide with Jesus in the midst of their brokenness. And you can be part of that work. Your generous donations help us send women to counseling who couldn't otherwise afford it, help us to create content to bring hope to the hurting, and to create spaces for women to connect in community. Will you join our efforts to bring hope and healing to hurting women by giving a financial gift? Simply text GIVE to 1-888-364-4483 for more information about giving. Thank you. When I was thinking about interviewing you, I started thinking about uh Jesus in the New Testament and collisions that he had and the ways that he made people feel seen. And I was thinking about Zacchaeus, right? Where Jesus sees him up in the tree. I'm sure you I didn't grow up in Sunday school, but you know the infamous, you know, Sunday school song or whatever. But how significant is it that Jesus sees him up there and then says, I'm going to your house today, like invites himself over for lunch. I love that. Yeah. I I think that Jesus's invitations are something, I mean, just in all throughout scripture, just the invitations that God offers are something to lean into. Like, I love that. First of all, Zacchaeus is literally small. Like God is noticing this small person. The Bible describes him as being, you know, short. You can't see as he climbs up in a tree. And um, God is noticing this person. He's a sinner by the world's standards. He's um, 
and, and God says, I'm going to come be as personal as possible with you. And it makes me think of the book I read about Hagar. And God asks Hagar a question when he meets her in the wilderness. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? And of course, God knows the answer to the question. So it's really like this invitation to her, like, Hagar, consider what, what's going on here. And, and then God asks her to turn around, you know, and go back to where she's come from. And, and in both of these situations, it's just this incredibly personal chance for God to say, I know you, but what are you going to do with the reality that I know you? So it's an invitation for us to consider what it means when God encounters us in our life, sees us so well. How do we respond to that? What changes about our life when he meets us in that way? Yeah, it makes me think of Nathaniel, right? And he's shocked and he's like, how do you know me to Jesus? And Jesus is like, well, I saw you while you were still underneath the fig tree. And there's, you know, before Philip called you, and there's just something so cool about how intentionally purposeful and and personal Jesus is with the people that he runs into. Yeah. Yeah, and that he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Like, we live in a world that's like, of course, the larger the platform you have, or the more people that like you, or, you know, the more aesthetic your life is, or what, I'm just saying it. Like, those are the people worthy of investing your time and attention and energy into. But consistently in God's word, it's not that he doesn't invest time into those people, but it's just that he also is willing to get his hands dirty with, like, the lowliest, like, the, the forgotten, the ones that are totally on the sidelines and overlooked. God's consistently meeting them in these places. And we live in a world that does not operate that way. And so it's a beautiful truth to be reminded of that God operates very differently than the world around us. As you were talking, I, and maybe this is so obvious, but I think it almost feels embarrassing or like you would feel ashamed to say out loud, I feel overlooked. Like there's almost like, um, it's funny. It's almost, I don't know, like the juxtaposition of like all these people who are trying to be seen, right? And trying to get attention. And all of these people that feel so overlooked. And we almost have to look like we're not trying to be seen when in actuality we want to be seen. Oh, man, absolutely. I I think that it is a feeling and experience we just don't give words to very often. I think that it is something, I think when we think about wanting attention, that's a very like shameful feeling idea because attention has negative connotations. And like you said earlier, I do think it's important to take away like good, bad around attention and just realize it's just a need. It's, it's what you do with it that can make it a good or bad thing. Um, but, you know, it's funny because in writing this book, it's been incredibly vulnerable to name a book overlooked, be the author of it and like put it out in the world and just declare to the world, well, I feel this way because it's scary. And I once heard someone describing the book and they said, you know, this author wrote this book because she really struggled to want to be seen. And I prickled and I was like, I don't want to be seen by people. And I thought, wait a minute, that's what the whole book is about. But it's just that that was my knee jerk reaction. Like, oh, I don't want to be described that way. And yet it's true. And I think just, um, it was a hard, it's a hard message to sort of, bring into the world because it requires me to be the one to say, I think we could give a name to this feeling, right? 
and I'll be the one to go first. Now, do you want to share anything about how you're feeling too? And so, um, but I hope that that's what's helpful about this book is identifying it, giving words to it and giving this biblical perspective around it. Yeah, I think you're you're giving women a permission slip to to say, hey, it's actually you're made to be seen. And if you don't feel seen, it's okay to admit that you want to be seen. And is it is it more about being seen in the right ways and the healthy ways than in the destructive, unhealthy ways? I mean, what have you what have you discovered about that? Um, I think that the proof text for this idea that we all want to be seen for me is easy to see on social media because it's like this huge thing, right? That spans the world. It's not, it's not too like specific to one demographic or race or culture or age or anything. It's just all across uh, the world. It's growing. And what we see on social media, I think it's pretty clear. There's a lot of negative effects that come from it. There's positive and negative Um, But when we really kind of get down to why do we love it so much and what do we keep coming back for? um, I think we could make a pretty strong case for the idea that we want to be seen on social media and we want to see others. Like, what are we doing if not looking into everybody else's life and hoping that they might look into ours and find something worthy there? And so social media is hitting on this human pain point of needing to be seen. But I think what it's doing is touching on the pain point and allowing people for the first time ever to try to fulfill this need of longing to be seen on like a grand scale, like a mass scale. And so it's incredibly tempting to want to go viral and to want to be on there all the time um, and to see and be seen. And it's totally, I'm on social media, I'm not against social media, it's totally fine. But when we only look to things like that and we're getting, we're, we're, we're longing for more eyes usually the result isn't being seen. It's feeling more and more alone and overlooked. Mm -hmm. And so it absolutely matters where that attention is coming from because positive attention is I am first seen and loved by my father, right? I am his creation and he has made me good in Jesus. And I'm confident in that. So wherever I show up and whatever offering I give to the world, they don't get to tell me who I am and what my worth is because it's already been assigned to me by and then we get to operate in a place that's healthy in the spaces around us, like social media. Yeah, as you're talking, I keep thinking about the idea that it's one thing to feel seen, but another thing to feel known. And I go back to that passage in scripture where the hemorrhaging woman is running into Jesus and grabs his robe in a crowd. He could have looked at her and kept going because he was on his way to heal a child, which he ends up actually doing. But he could have he could have just seen her, but that wouldn't have been enough. It was actually when he stops for her, and like you said, he calls her daughter. Scripture says she pours out her whole truth to him, and she experiences his love. She experiences this name that he claims over her, and he heals her. She felt known. She felt like he made space to know her story, enter her story, and actually bring transformation to her story. And I think there is just such a difference. Like you can have a jillion million followers on social media, but people don't actually know you. You know, I had this experience a couple of years ago and I don't live like in a large town and I don't say this like any kind of like braggy way. This actually was kind of a sad story. I was walking out of a coffee shop one day and 
um, there was women waiting to come in the coffee shop. So we had that awkward, like, do I hold the door for you? Do you hold the door for me thing? And, um, since there was three of them, they held the door and I walked out and the last lady was like, Oh, Willow Weston. Everyone knows Willow Weston. Well, of course they don't, everyone doesn't know Willow Weston, but I live in like kind of a smaller town. And so, you know, in my town, I've lived here a long time. I know some people kind of a thing, but I think because she comes to like our Clyde conferences and events or something, I speak there. She assumes that a lot of people know me. And I had this, I went into my car and I started crying. Like I started bawling Mm -hmm. and I, I felt so unknown. Like I was seen, but I didn't feel known. Like I, I was going through a really hard thing and it didn't matter if people know me or, or that like people, people know my name or they know what I'm about or they know what I do or, or they've, been impacted by it or any of that. None of that really mattered. I felt so unknown. Like people assume they know me just because they see me, which is a really lonely, like all this, all this social media stuff. Anyway, they tell that story to kind of throw myself under a bus that like, you can actually feel more lonely. Yeah. From having all these people who see you or like your posts or whatever, but they don't actually know you and what's going on with you in your life. That's right. That's right. And I think one of the the primary differences there um, that's really important for people to understand is we're on social media, it's curated. There's a buffer. And the reason why it's curated and the reason why we're letting people at least see certain parts that we want them to see is because while we long to be seen, there's also a very real reality that we also fear being fully seen by people. Like we don't want people to see everything right? We don't want them to see who we really are all the time. So we're going to protect that. And so the difference between being known on social media and a kind of, it's always going to be a sort of a a surface way. Um, And being known by God is that God literally sees all of it, like the good, the bad, the ugly, all the stuff we wish he couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And yet in seeing that, and in that place where we are exposed completely, Hebrews 4 tells us we are naked and exposed before God. That even in that, he invites us to draw near and he covers us in his love and he gives us grace and mercy. And so there's no place we'll ever be known like we're known by the God who really sees it all and still welcomes us. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because so often when little glimpses of who we are kind of get peaked for people to see and they they get a, a sort of... um maybe they get to open the door into like our messy room, like some messy room. Sometimes it's too messy for them. And so they sort of put distance, they close the door, they move away. We experience that in friendships. We experience that in marriages, you know, whatever it is. And you're bringing up the point that God fully sees all the stuff, all the mess, all the garbage, all the terrible thoughts, all the ugly, and he still stays present and fully loves us. Like we're fully seen and fully loved, which is such a comforting, comforting idea. It makes his love uh, so much more incredible that he sees us and he loves us. That's right. That's right. It's so substantial and real. I know we could talk about this forever, but I 
have one last question for you, Whitney, which is for people listening who are feeling unseen, maybe by God, maybe in relationships with others, what's your best advice for them? Uh, My best advice is uh, you really are seen, but the only way you'll know that is through the truth of God's word, because again, you can know something in your head and it's hard to get it into your heart sometimes. Um, But God's word tells us in verses like, uh, like the chapter in Psalm, Psalm 139, that God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything always. And he's also omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all at once. And these things about the character of God tell us that by his very nature, God always sees us like he has to. He knows everything. He's always with us. He sees us. And we hear in Genesis, we hear Hagar, Genesis 16, call God Elroy, the God who sees. And so if you feel, it's so easy to feel forgotten and unseen by God. I've felt that so many times in my life. It is so easy to feel unseen and forgotten by people. And the truth is you are unseen and forgotten by people sometimes, but you are never unseen and forgotten by God. And um, for me in my life, going back to the truth of scripture on that, I'm really sitting in it and letting it kind of have time to trickle from my head to my heart um, has made all the difference. And knowing even when I don't feel it, that's who he is. Um, that's his character. And he is, he sees me. What's your advice? Because I just want to tack this on because I feel like it's so important for people who are in relationship with people who are supposed to be close to them. So their spouse, you know, their best friends, a friendship group, whatever, or at work or something, and they don't feel seen. What's your advice for them? Hmm. Um, well, I think if it's your spouse, you go through seasons, right? Where sometimes, and for instance, my spouse has been went through a season of anxiety where he was so much in that struggle that I didn't feel very seen because he was going through that. And in that season, my only hope was to draw near to the Lord. And like me and God got real close because all I could do was take all of my junk to the Lord because I couldn't talk to my husband about it or he might, you know, it might make him more anxious. Um, And so becoming very intimate with Christ um, on a regular basis is so helpful when you feel alone. I think sometimes if you're in a friendship or a relationship outside of, you know, a committed marriage, um, if you're consistently feeling unseen, maybe there's better friends out there that can see you well. Um, I think that there, it's hard to find people that see us well. And I think um, we have high expectations of that. And so one of the ways you can sort of um, do a litmus test for sort of the health of your friendships is, you do it first, right? You be the seer, you be the noticer, you be the one who um, looks at their heart, right? And notices their heart and gets um, personal with them and do what you wish they would do for you, right? Be that person first and maybe see if that makes a change in your relationship. Um, But I would say, yeah, draw near to God. And if friendships are not healthy, it's okay to make boundaries there too. Mm. I love that idea of you be the seer, because I think what you're inviting us to do is actively participate in what the work of God looks like. We're being like Jesus when we're being the seer in relationships, but certainly if we're in relationships where we're consistently not being seen, to remember that we're worthy of it, and then 
take action based on that is probably necessary at times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Whitney, I could talk to you about this all day, but I know that (laughs) people who are going to want to continue this conversation with you, get a hold of your book or, or just follow along with you on your journey. How can they do that? Yeah, well, they can go to my website, WhitneyAiken.com and, you know, just check things out. But one great thing to do is sign up for my newsletter because they can kind of keep up with me and I share like little stories about my life, you know, probably like once a month, um, I'll send something out and they can also keep in touch with me on Instagram. It's just at Whitney Aiken, uh, post over there quite a bit. And then they can find my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or sort of anywhere online that books are sold. They can just search for overlooked and find it there. Awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out today. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope that you do feel seen by the God who sees. I was taking lots of notes during that interview. I love, absolutely love how Whitney normalizes our desire to be seen. And I think you were made to be seen and I was made to be seen. I think we were made to be known and made to be loved. And God does see us, know us, and love us, and we can take comfort in that. My hope today is that you collided with Him in a way that made you feel all of those things. If you want to be challenged to grow in your faith and to grow in the ways that God is so very personal, I really do invite you to check out our Bible study book, Personal and Powerful. We have heard so many stories and feedback from women who've done it in their small groups. They've done it in their women's ministry groups at their church. They've done it with coworkers. Their mothers and daughters have done it. Um, heck, we've even heard of some men who've done it. But um, it is written for women, uh, but you know, go crazy, whatever. Anyways, it is a 12 week study, I believe, where we see Jesus show up and be so personal and powerful to that woman who's hemorrhaging and to that father whose daughter's dying. And I think it will bring you great hope, great faith, great healing and transformation in your life. So make sure to check that out. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.